Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ronnie, one of the pastors here at, at Doxa. As you can see, we are in James chapter 3 this morning, if you want to pull your Bibles out, if you haven't already done that. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. It's great to, to see all of you in person, and those of you that are joining online, again, we, we miss you. It's not the same here without you. The book of James has been, honestly, for me, and I think for our church, a, a really timely and, and uh, just well-put well words from this man, James, for the time that we're living in right now, right? And, and what more could we expect from somebody who literally was the half-brother of Jesus, right? Like he had spent so much time with him. And you know why Jesus and James were half-brothers, right? They had different dads. You know, who, who, who was James's dad? Joseph. Jesus' dad was? There you go. Great job, Doc. So just seeing if you're awake this morning. But yeah, so He's his half-brother, grew up with him, eventually comes to worship Jesus as God, becomes his disciple, his follower. And so, so many of the things that, that James is saying, we know that he's saying them because he just sees reality in a tighter, in a different way than we do because he's been with Jesus. We know that so many of the things that James is saying are, are textured by the time that he spent with his half-brother, Jesus, who was, in fact, king of the world, king of the universe, God incarnate. And one of the other followers of Jesus was this guy named John, okay, the Apostle John. And he wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. And he too, just like James, he just, he was able to sit in the, the cultural moment of his time and just see with clarity what was really going on. And one of the books that he does this in a, in a at times, kind of confusing and debated way, but in a really compelling way is, is the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. And John, he wrote Revelation when he was actually exiled as, as a, uh, a Christian outcast on this island called Patmos off the coast of Greece. And as John is all alone in isolation with no one but, but him and God, God gives him a vision, kind of like his last calling on his life was to record this vision that he gets from God to tell the world, hey, this is what is actually going on. Amidst all the turmoil with like the Roman Empire and Israel and all these things like let me cut through reality and give you a vision of what is actually happening in the world. And so John gets this vision, and that's the book of Revelation. And there's this really interesting part in Revelation 12 through 14 where John gets a vision of this great dragon. Okay, the dragon is described as red, and it talks about how his like, tail sweeps across the stars and like, uh, sweeps a third of them down to earth. And he's like breathing this furious Rage And John, as he's getting this vision from God, he identifies the dragon as that ancient serpent from the Garden of Eden called the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he kind of watches as this dragon just tries to, to wreak havoc in furious rage and deceive mankind and devour the people of the world. This, this dragon, this furious dragon who specifically hates followers of Jesus. And so again, John, he's like on this island by himself and he gets this vision and he sees this great red dragon. God is saying like, this is, this is what's actually going on behind the scenes of all human evil. That evil's ultimate source is not a person, but it's this being, this great dragon, this Satan, this deceiver, this evil spiritual being. And the scene kind of ends where it says, then the dragon became furious with the woman and with the people of the earth and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, which is just all of humanity, and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then it says, he stood on the sand of the sea. 
Just this, so you see, picture John standing on the sand of his own sea off the island of Patmos, and he sees this great red dragon in furious rage, waging war against the people of the world, and it's a war for the worship of these people. That's what he wants. He wants all people to bow down to him and to follow his way. His way of strength and power, but strength and power that is directed in rage towards destruction. God shows him this and says, John, this is ultimate reality behind the scenes in the spiritual realm. And then in chapter 14, John looks maybe in the other direction. He says, and I look and behold, on Mount Zion stood the lamb. So he sees this great dragon and then he sees this just measly little meek lamb. This lamb that looks as though it had been slain, but somehow it's standing confidently on the foot of this mountain. And the lamb isn't alone, but he actually sees thousands of people gathered around this lamb. And it's interesting, but it says, with, with God the Father's name written on their foreheads, and they're singing. They're singing this song that he says it sounds like thunder, like their collective voice sounds like rushing waters, like the most terrible but beautiful storm you've ever heard. And they're standing around the lamb. And the song that they're singing, get this, he says, it's a song that you can only hear and understand if you've been redeemed by the blood of this lamb who has been slain. And this lamb, he stands at the top of this mountain in meekness, which is actually true strength, directed in sacrificial love. And as John looks away from the terror of this very real dragon and towards the meekness and beauty and power and glory of this lamb, he looks at the people gathered around the lamb and he says, it is these, these ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as a first fruits for God and for the Lamb. And in John's day, he was a man just like us. He met Jesus when he was just a young fisherman. But in his day, he had seen nations and peoples rise up against each other in war and in conflict. But on this day, at the end of his life, he was given a clear vision of what was really going on behind it all. The war of the dragon against the lamb. The war that's been going on throughout all of human history, and it's not a battle of equals. Satan is not equal in strength to Jesus. He is under the authority of Jesus, but he wages war against Jesus and the people of God. Satan against Jesus. And we know from the book of Revelation, the end story of the Bible, that Jesus ultimately does conquer. But right now, the war wages on for you and I. The truth that John saw is that all people either bow down to the dragon and follow his way and worship him, or they bow down to the lamb and they follow him wherever he goes. And this is what James, John's friend James, Jesus' half-brother James, is talking to us about today in chapter 3. If you look down at the text again, we had it read over us, but he says, hey, there's only actually two wisdoms in the world, two ways to live, and they create two different worlds, one bent on chaos and destruction, the way of the dragon, and the other bent towards peace and harmony. 
And in a time right now where it is so polarizing and divisive to just be an American and to be here, a time where it seems like everyone is being yelled at and forced to pick a side, whatever side that may be, James cuts through it all today and tells us, hey, there's really only two options, Christian. In reality, there are only two options. It's the way of the dragon or the way of the lamb. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I like, get this imagery from, from John and from James and I just apply it to my life. Like I, I want to follow the lamb wherever he goes. I want to be one of those that follows Jesus, but I feel the pull of the dragon in my life every day. I feel him like breathing down my neck. I, I feel it. I sense it. Whether that be temptation to sin deception and doubt of God's goodness on my life, whatever it is, like my own sinful nature combined with just the cultural currents that we are all swimming in. They are all under the sway of the dragon and I feel him pulling me. But in our text today, what James is gonna do is with this contrast of the way from above or the way from below, the way of the lamb or the way of the dragon, he's gonna draw out a few ways that we can be those people that follow the lamb wherever he goes in a time where it really does seem like the dragon is winning the war. Okay, so first, the first way of the lamb that we need to follow is the way of self-sacrifice in an age of self-promotion. The way of self-sacrifice in an age of self-promotion. Look back at verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of of wisdom. So he's like, who, who is wise by your good conduct or your, your good life? Let him show his works. Like there's these works that are the evidence of true wisdom. And the works, as we'll see, are, are sacrificial service, others oriented, others facing works. Those are the marks of the meekness of wisdom. Listen, this is so counterintuitive. You don't, you don't just learn this on your own. God has to tell this to you. This is wisdom that comes down from above. The defining mark of true wisdom, get this, is meekness. And if meekness isn't a word that you're totally familiar with, you could also translate it humility. A self-subduing, gentle spirit that shows itself in the works of sacrifice and service for others. So in an age of self-promotion, true wisdom is meekness, self-subduing, gentleness, and humility. But then here's the contrast. Look at verse 14. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is self-serving, self-promotion. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly And not only that, it's unspiritual. And not only that, it is demonic. This isn't cute. This isn't fun and games. This is like the way of the dragon. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. And then listen to what happens when that's in our hearts. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. We live in a time, we live in an age where self-promotion. It's just like the default setting of our culture and our hearts, is it not? I read a book this past year. It was called The Road to Character. It was, it was by this author named David Brooks who he writes a lot of stuff for like the New York Times and 
his whole book was basically about how there's been a massive shift like generationally from what he calls the, the little me to the big me. And we live in a big me culture, a self-promotion culture. It's everywhere around us. And, and in the intro to his book, he, he goes in and talks about all these historical characters, but he tells a story in the intro of where, where it really dawned on him. He's driving home one day from work and as he's driving home, so I don't know how he found this, but somehow on the radio, he's listening to a, an old recording of a radio show that came out just after the Allied Forces won World War II. It was an American show, and it was like, like Frank Sinatra was on the show, and all of like the, the celebrities and the most important people of the day came on this show to sing songs and to give speeches and to celebrate the victory over the Axis powers, like a monumental historical world victory. And he was shocked and he was stunned to see that the, the mark of the whole thing was this tone of humility and gratefulness and wonder and awe and like self-denial. There was no boasting in themselves. They weren't talking about how great, how great America was. They were like, I can't believe we made it out of that alive. It was a very somber, but with like songs and poems and speeches, but a, a somber, humble celebration. And he was struck by that and like the, such a great victory that this would have been the tone of our country just, you know, back in the 40s. And then it says he, he pulls home in, a, in his car and as he walks into the house, just like one of, the mo- one of the most jarring experiences of his life, he walks in and there's a football game on, on TV, a modern college football game. And he says this guy gets like a two-yard gain, not even a touchdown. Like I think maybe he just gets a first down. And he says he just erupts in the most like aggrandizing like uh, celebration of this two-yard gain you would ever see. Like you would have you thought he just won World War II, but no, he just got a, a two-yard gain. And he's like dancing around the field and all of this, they're doing all these dances with the team teammates and like just self-promotion at its finest. And then he just says this, he says, it occurred to me that I had just watched more self-celebration after a two-yard gain than I had heard after the United States won World War II. This is the culture that we live in today. This is just the, the way that we operate. I don't know about you, but when I walk into a room, my instinct is self-promotion. My instinct is, is how can I, do I measure up here? How can I measure up here? How can I come out on top in this environment? Not how can I love, how can I serve, how can I encourage? I wanna do those things, but I'm talking about my instinct, the default setting in my heart. This is what comes out of me. And we talked about social media enough last week, but just a crazy question for us as followers of the Lamb, how do you do social media <laughs> without selfish ambition and bitter jealousy in your heart? How in, the, how in the world? We of all people, well, no, I don't know. I think, I think maybe we can, I don't know. I, I don't have time to get into it here. What I wrote down in my notes is, I don't know. <laughs> but we are the ones that have to figure that out. Because we are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. And his way is the way of humility. I help lead our college ministry, the salt company here at Doxa. And back in the fall, we taught through the book of Philippians. David Livingston, who did announcements up here, gave the message on Philippians chapter two, which is one of the the classic and powerful places where we see the humility, the self-sacrifice of Jesus. And David, he used this illustration in the message of essentially what, this is what happens when you become a Christian. We are all kind of climbing the ladder of life 
climbing towards status and significance and success and security. And we're, we're going up. And then Jesus, he comes down from heaven to earth and he comes, he comes down as we are coming up and he meets us there and he saves us. And it's this amazing moment of forgiveness and identity and purpose. But what he doesn't do is then put us on his back and keep us climbing back up the same direction we were going. No, it says he actually goes down the ladder of service and away from the ladder up of status. Like that's what happened when you became a Christian. Is Jesus met you on the ladder while you were on the way up and now he's taking you down with him. This is what Philippians chapter two says for us now. It says, therefore do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Imagine that. Imagine that in your marriage. Imagine that in your friendships. Imagine that smack dab in the middle of like a heated argument. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus has done for us. That's, that's what he's done. He says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was in heaven, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the way of Jesus. It's the way of the lamb, the way of self-sacrifice. Jesus came down to get us. Though he was a king, he became the lamb who was slain. This is where Jesus is going. This is where he's always going. And this is where we must go. This is what James says is the path of true wisdom. He says the meekness of wisdom. So just a a question for us to, to consider. How can we follow the lamb down the ladder towards service of those around us right now? If you're a college student who's here or you're watching online, when you get back to campus in the fall, it is going to be uncertain and it is going to be stressful times 10 to what all of you are used to. Like you, like you, the things that you are feeling inside of you, what would happen if you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others and you figured out a way of how am I going to be not just looking out for myself this fall, but how can I serve the people around me? How can I not capitalize on and crush the weak competition that is going to be weighed down by COVID? And how can I actually lift them up along with me? How can I serve? The way of the dragon is to crush the competition. The way of the lamb is humble service. I think the same thing goes for coworkers. All of these different sectors of society and and commerce have been affected differently by COVID. And we all have people that we know that have been affected in different ways. And maybe they're, they're falling behind because of what's happened with this virus. We who follow the lamb wherever he goes are the first people to figure out how can we, how can we slow down and, and go back and help these people and bring them along with us. So James says that true wisdom is meekness, surprisingly. But even as we're talking about it, it's really hard to just like be this way. It's hard to to be meek. It comes unnatural to us. I trained my whole life on how to climb up the ladder. It takes a lot of new skill, a lot of new vision, a lot of new motivation to actually go down the ladder with Jesus of service. And so, so what do we do? 
We, we follow the lamb wherever he goes. And I know you're saying, okay, you just, you've said that about 10 times now. Well, I want to hone in on that word follow because what I didn't say is we know things about the lamb and wherever he's going. No, the, the words that John used in Revelation is, no, these are those who they follow him. They don't just know things about him, but they follow him up closely with their lives. And Satan, the great dragon, he's actually totally fine if we in this room, we watching online, know tons of things about Jesus. Just as long as we don't get too close and actually start following him. Just so we don't get too close to his actual beating heart of love towards us and actually really get transformed by it and become like him. And I think it does appear that nowadays, more than any time in history, it appears that one of the strategies that Satan is using against us is to absolutely flood our world with information. Flood our world with information, even good Christian information. Even these words that are coming out of my mouth right now could be used by the enemy to just flood you with more information, more than you can possibly take in. And we will confuse information with intimacy with the lamb. We will just know things about him, but we will not follow him up and close. We won't know his heart at that level. And this is the second thing that James draws out for us today. Those of us that want to follow the lamb wherever he goes is it's the way of intimacy in an age of information. Right? This has been called the information age, but look at what verse 13 says again. Look back in your Bibles. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct. Okay, who, which one of you is wise? It's not who's got the degree. It's not who's the smartest. It's not who's the most talented. It's who's got the good life. You show your wisdom by your life. He says, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom and understanding are revealed in our living not just in our speaking and articulating and saying and our tweeting and whatever, whatever else we might do with our information to just put it back out there, but our living. But we live in a time when wisdom is equated so often with just consuming information, is it not? Just consuming more and more information. This is the information digital age. And it's not wrong to just consume information, but it does become wrong and unhelpful if you don't integrate it deep into your life. So we take in tons of content, and maybe we can even tweet about it, but we can't live it. And that's right where the dragon wants us. That is the way of the dragon. Some of you might be familiar with some of the, I don't even know how or who is doing all these studies, but I see it everywhere just about the uh, amount of information and knowledge that we now have through the, the internet and how it, like, rapidly it is, it is growing. And at this point, the, the amount of information we have through the internet is doubling every 13 months. And then I read something that said, soon it'll be every 13 hours. Seems like a, a pretty big jump to me. I think he just wanted to stick with the number 13, but still, cr craziness. If you trace, if there's like a graph of human history and what has happened with just our ability to know things and possess information, it is like the, the spike of the last 10, 15 years is just astronomical. It is insane. But the crazy thing, the crazy thing, and this is what David Brooks was getting at in his book, The Road to Character, is that our character, the formation of us as persons, especially persons that are like Jesus, 
is not going on that same graph. Because this is not how biblical wisdom works. Lived wisdom has to be lived, not just known, not just tweeted. Proverbs chapter 1 famously says that true wisdom begins and flows from the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The, the awareness of we are living in God's universe and oh my gosh, God is glorious and he's good. He's not glorious and wants to destroy us. He's glorious and created everything out of an over, overflowing love that he wants us to enjoy and flourish. Nobody wants better for your life than God. It's living with that type of an awareness, this fear of the Lord awareness. And then you take in all the information that this world can throw at us, even the Christian information, and you integrate it into your life according to the awareness that you're really walking with God. So at a time when we have content coming at us like crazy all day, the question is, how do we actually take all that in and become wise? And I would submit to you that when you look at the way that Jesus lived his life and the way that he invited his followers to come along, what we have to do, especially now more than ever, is we have to to follow the lamb at the slow pace, the slow pace of relationship instead of at this fast pace of just binging information. We have to slow down. For those of you that have been listening to Praying the Psalms, I've said that so many times the last couple months since the beginning, it's the intro, right? We're trying to, we have so much information, we're trying to, to slow down so we can actually integrate this stuff into our life and follow Jesus. Because listen, John chapter one, John who wrote Revelation in chapter one, he says that Jesus is not just a wise person that knew some good information, he is the divine logic, the wisdom of the universe. Wisdom personified, come down from heaven embodied in human form. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 30. He says that Jesus has become to us wisdom. He doesn't just say wise things, but he himself is wisdom personified. This is what James is saying when he says the wisdom from above. He's not saying there's like a a file cabinet of information that has fallen from above. He's saying there is a person. There is an ultimately wise person who has some amazing teachings, but he also has an amazing life that is congruent with his teachings and knowing him intimately is how you will become wise and like him. And we will never become meek and gentle and humble by just hearing me talk about it or by you putting a sticky note. And I've I've actually been doing this for years. I have like sticky notes and things written down about like goal for the year, sacrificial, loving, servant, humility, you know, like all these things. I think that's probably better than nothing, right? But what I need is not a sticky note with the right information. What I need is a close walk with the one who is truly humble, gentle, loving, sacrificial for me. And so as Jesus was walking the earth, in Matthew chapter 11, there's this great place where Jesus, he, he looks right at us. And he says, if you wanna be meek, If you want this gentleness of wisdom that James is talking about, come take a walk with me. He says, come to me, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Doesn't, side note, doesn't labor and heavy laden describe a little bit about what it feels like to try to sift through all this information, all this news, all these updates, 
stuff for our jobs and not for our jobs, like all who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. I will simplify things so much for you. I will simplify what life is really about. We'll, we'll worry about what that news article said, but we'll, we'll talk about it together and I will show you what really matters. He says, take my yoke upon you, which is a, a term for getting really close, like intimately yoked up with Jesus and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. He doesn't say, learn from me because I am brilliant even though he is. He says, come and learn from me because the type of heart that I have is the type of heart that you need. Get close to me and you'll become like me. You will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our hearts are transformed into actually being these meek and wise people by intimacy with his heart, not just information about it. So question to to consider, in this flood of information, in this age of information that we're living in, what are you doing practically, daily, regularly, to process all of this stuff with God? So that as James talks about this, this good life, this good conduct that shows itself in works of sacrificial service and humility and the meekness of wisdom, so you actually, it's, it's coming out of you and you're living. What are you, what are you doing? A couple, couple ideas for you. One that I've, I've found people uh, doing this for years and it's been so helpful for me, but a commitment every day before you give yourself to information coming in from your email or from the news or from social media or even just those the kind of like the anxious thoughts that might flood into your head about the things that you're doing that day. Before you give yourself to any of that information, which is it's fine in and of itself, give yourself to God and his word. Open your Bible before you open your phone is what I'm saying. Every day. If you're gonna check your phone and read the news every day, you better open your Bible every day before that. Simple habit, really simple. Start making it a habit and it'll become easier. Don't sleep with your phone next to your bed. That's a controversial statement. You don't have to do that. I think it's helpful. All right, praying the Psalms. David talked about this a little bit, so I'll be brief, but the, the praying the Psalms is something that my wife and I have been, have been doing for years, but it's been so much richer this year because we've been doing it together and we've been like, we've been having this, this 10 minute little just daily podcast to, to listen to. And sometimes I listen to it in the morning, sometimes when I'm driving somewhere, sometimes at lunch, sometimes at the end of my day to just kind of decompress. And what, what is happening in the Psalms is God is giving us language to process all of the things that we're being faced with, all the information that's coming at us. Things like loneliness and injustice, things like, like love, like the real stuff of life. This real information, processing it with God in prayer. That could be a big help for you. And another just really practical thing, if, if you find yourself trying to follow Jesus, he says, come to me, and you're like, I'm coming to you, Jesus, but then you don't have other people around you that are doing that. If you don't have Christian community, people that are locking arms side by side with you, if you're trying to follow Jesus by yourself, you're going to go crazy. You're going to go absolutely insane. Like the, one of the ways that I stay sane and that I'm, I know that I'm actually on the right path is these things, this information that's coming out from all these angles, I'm processing it with the people that are around me and I'm processing it with God. And as we walk closely with Jesus day in and day out, his gentle and lowly heart, it changes us into the type of people that get this, 
that the world really needs right now. This isn't just about us and our sanity. This is about the world and the sanity and the peace of the world. And that's actually the last thing that James is going to call us to today. As he calls us to be those that follow the lamb wherever he goes. He wants us to, to live in the way of peace in an age of outrage. The way of peace in an age of outrage. Look at verse 16. James says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Does this not describe life in America right now? And I don't just mean those people on the news. I mean us. I mean the storms inside of our own hearts, inside of our own relationships, disorder, chaos, vile practice. This is the way of the dragon, right? It's the way of self-promotion and pride, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, which leads to inevitably disorder and every vile practice. And the Greek word that he uses when he originally wrote it is, I can't even pronounce it, akastasia is the word. And it literally means disturbance, upheaval, anarchy. It's the word that they would have used in those days to talk about if a society started to revolt against itself with no real end in mind, but just chaos. That's the word that he uses. So when that bitter and jealous thought in us grows, that's what it turns into, especially in a society. Disorder for the sake of chaos, not the good kind of disorder that is aimed at justice and peace. Then he says, the way of the lamb, the way from above is peacemaking. He says it leads to a harvest of righteousness. And righteousness in the Bible, this, this is a word for human flourishing under God's design. Righteousness is the thing that everybody actually really is trying to figure out how to have. A good and just and equitable society for all people, all members of the human family. That's, that's righteousness in the Bible and it's God's design and God's idea. But in our culture today, we are living in a time that wouldn't be described as, as righteousness. And, and honestly, it's just, this is the story of human history, right? In so many different ways. But we live in a time right now, to use James's language, of cultural disturbance and upheaval, disorder over vile practices that we're seeing, real injustices being exposed. And there is outrage from both the right and the left in our culture, just absolute outrage over what's happening. I'm going to make some like generalizations here of just observations, but there's, there's some extreme views that some people have where they just want to tear everything down. And, it, and it's, it's kind of chaos. But then there's others in a more extreme view that just want to keep building and keep going on with the status quo despite some very real alarming concerns from hurting people about injustice. And both sides, and again, there's like extremes and there's totally a spectrum, but both sides are, are living in this place of outrage. And we don't have time, and I don't even want to get into like where, where we might all land on the particulars of this stuff, but my point is just to say that we're all getting pulled into this outrage in one direction or the other every day. And I don't think that it's Jesus who is pulling us there. I do not think, from my reading of the Bible and my reading of culture, that it is Jesus, the way of the meek and gentle lamb that is pulling us into a place of outrage, whatever direction that is. James says here that it's the way of the dragon. The way of the dragon is actually both chaos in order over injustice. 
and complacency with injustice. Both are the way of the dragon. Chaos over injustice and complacency with injustice. The way of the lamb is not chaos or complacency, but compassion and restoration. He uses the language of like a beautiful garden that takes some digging up for sure and some pulling of weeds and some hard like deconstructive work, but there's this vision of a harvest of righteousness is what he says. That's the way of the lamb. Get the vile practice out of there and build towards a beautiful future of righteousness. And it is so hard to live in the in-between of all these things, is it not? But this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus is doing now. This is what Jesus did in a big scale in human history. We see this so clearly with what he was doing at the cross. Jesus, the true wisdom from above, he comes down to earth as a humble servant. And he came into an outraged and angry culture. He was crucified in front of an angry mob, but Jesus, he chose the way of peace. He opened not his mouth. Do you realize what he did? When this was happening, as he was being screamed and yelled at, he didn't fight back or run away. What did he do? He stood there as a willing sacrifice. He laid his life down. The way of sacrifice. And isn't it amazing to think back to Jesus just on that walk to the cross, what everyone must have been thinking, his own disciples included, they saw this incredibly meek man just being absolutely tortured and they confused his meekness for weakness. When in fact we know now and so many that day came to realize that this was the greatest act of strength the world has ever known. This was the way of peacemaking, not the way of outrage. And for us, if in this time you've, you've noticed some, some jealousy and some selfish ambition, some selfish um, pride rising up, if you've been feeling yourself pulled into the outrage, you need to know that this rises out of a heart that is not at peace with others because ultimately it's not at peace with itself or with God. This is the work of the dragon. This is called sin. This is the poison of the dragon. And if anybody in this whole mess should be outraged, it should be God at us for his sin. But then how did he treat us? How does God treat sinners? All of us who perpetuate injustice. He comes down and we see him hanging on a cross as a lamb. And in the midst of our outrage, in the midst of our confusion, when we see him hanging there, taking our place, offering himself as forgiveness and reconciliation, it stops us. It stops me right in my tracks. As my blood pressure is rising kind of just in this culture, I'm stopped in my tracks when I see the mercy of Jesus. He heals my heart. He heals me. And in Revelation, John, when he talks about how the dragon is ultimately conquered, you know what he says? He says they will conquer him by the blood of the Lamb. The way of peacemaking. And we Christians are those, especially right now, that we, we follow him wherever he goes. And so right now, if you find yourself swept up in just a culture of outrage, the most practical thing you can do is just get quiet with God and get in touch with his mercy. Because he's always moving in the direction of peace, harmony, and reconciliation. And guys, the way of peace is not the way of passivity. 
right? It doesn't mean be, be passive. It means we need to pray. We need to get to work. James says God is against both disorder and vile practice because he's for righteousness and he's for peace. And even our church, right? Our mission statement does not include an against statement in it. It says we are for the glory of God and we're for the good of Madison. We use the language of planting, like we planted a church here to see a harvest of righteousness and peace in our city. We need to be these types of, of peacemaking people. And I don't know all the practicalities of what it looks like to truly have a peacemaking presence like in the global world right now or the national world, but at a more local level, at a more personal, relational level, we all have relationships that we can step into a peacemaking type of posture in. Every Wednesday, I set aside time to just pray that God would raise me and raise our church up to be these types of peacemaking presence people in our culture right now. And so the question for you to consider is just in your sphere of influence, what are you doing? What can you do? Who can you approach to plant these seeds of peace right now? And if you wonder what that would look like, which, which I wonder some of the same things, James doesn't give us like a specific strategic plan to go through. He says, you need to be this like certain type of person, the type of person that Jesus was. So look, he says, the wisdom from above is first what? Pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. We could all use a lot more of that. Full of mercy, like hearts overflowing with mercy and good fruits impartial, insincere. These are the type of people that when they step into outrage situations, because that is their character, because their heart is so close to the heart of Jesus, they know how to step in and be a peacemaking presence in that situation. And so church, it is not hard to see the way of the dragon in my own heart and in our world right now, just at work. But what James has done and what he's saying is that the need of the hour, the need of the hour for the sake of our world is for Christians to rise up as these type of humble, gentle, peacemaking servants that can lead to a harvest of righteousness in our city. And James, he says so many things that are so applicable to just kind of what's happening in the world, but he's really writing to the church Again and again, he's saying it starts with you. It starts in your heart. It starts in the heart of your community. My wife and I have just recently gotten into gardening. We, we bought a house last summer that had a little garden box, and so we've been trying to, to figure this out, and I really don't know what I'm doing, but my tomato plant has actually gotten really large, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. It's growing up the trellis, and I'm, I've got like a little bit of a sense of confidence, and I, I've got a little bit more of a right to tell somebody else kind of how to garden a little bit now, but I've got a long way to go. And I am captivated by this vision from James for a harvest of righteousness to just be growing. A, he's using, like, the word culture comes from the whole realm of, like, agriculture, right? He's talking about a culture of justice and peace and equity and love in the world. But we have no right to really know, like, how it should work out there until we really get to work in here. So, like, so many times in these sermons, that's the call. It starts with us. And by the mercy of God, we are doing it. We can do it. We will do it. Let's follow the lamb wherever he goes. Let's pray. Jesus, it is a, a, a noisy 
just world that we live in. So much coming at us. God, and because your spirit is inside of us, we feel this, this pull and this impulse to want to not be passive, but to engage. God, to engage with the people that are close to us, to engage with our own sin and to fight it, but we feel the pull of the dragon confusing us, deceiving us, discouraging us. God, and I ask that these words from James, this vision of the way of the lamb, that you would, you would become just this, this ever-present person in our lives that is pulling us along, that amidst the confusion that we would see you, Jesus, maybe more clearly than ever before, extending your hand and saying, hey, I know you're weary and heavy laden and burdened. Why don't you come follow me? Why don't you find rest for your soul? Why don't you find rest for your soul and then maybe we'll figure out together how to bring rest for the world that's around us? God, that's the type of thing we're asking you to do. God, we want to see a harvest of righteousness. We want to be people that that plant seeds of peace, but we can't do it apart from you. Comfort us, inspire us, lead us. We want to follow you wherever you go. Amen.